Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't going to tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. So last week I, I told you the story about uh, I was working on a ranch in South Texas. It was my first job, you know, ranching job that wasn't tied to my dad, okay? I mean, I'd got some day work jobs and everything, but it was always because of my dad and I was a kid. But I had... I had gotten my first ranch job, and it was it was down there in South Texas. I was on a ranch uh, with three cowboys from Muskies, Mexico. They didn't speak English. I didn't speak Spanish, and even my TV didn't speak English because the only the only way you could get TV was was the over the air. Uh, stations out of Piedras Negras, Mexico. So we were right there on the border, literally right there on the border. And so it, it was a pretty lonely time. And then one day I see an orange and white Chevy pickup across the cattle guard. And my dad and my little brother surprised me by showing up and they had a dog with them, a little dog for me. His name was Woodrow. He was half blue healer, half, uh, half border collie, which meant he was really stupid and really smart. Okay, if you want to know what a blue healer and a border collie, just get in your truck, put it in drive and stomp on both pedals as hard as you can and see what happens. And that's what you get when you get a blue healer and a, and a border collie. Sometimes just hard headed, won't do anything you tell him to. And the next day, you know, he's cooking breakfast. You, you just never know what you, you don't know what you're going to get. You're going to get something. Okay. And, and, and that was Woodrow. Okay. We also talked about, uh, this, this four part series called finding Woodrow is about rediscovering what we actually believe in. Now, last week we talked about real quickly, you, you can go, uh, you can go to our website, click on previous clinics. You can watch these, please catch up. You can download our mobile app. You can listen to the podcast. Thank you, Jason Klinger for always taking care of that for us. And, um, so you can always go back and catch up. But what we talked about was how God wants to fulfill our dreams or our, our prayers. He wants to answer it. Okay, listen to a child tell you about his dreams and you're going to hear one word over and over and over and over and over. One specific word, three, three letters, A-N-D. Listen to a child talk about his dreams. What do you want to do when you grow up? Well, I want to be a cowboy and then I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. I'm going to have a house with a slide in. I'm going to invite all my friends over and, 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 right? That's what a child's dreams are made of. Listen to an adult's dreams, and he has traded his imagination for logic. He, he tones down his dreams to something that he's capable of instead of having a dream that only God can fulfill. See, God wants to make your dreams come true, but only if, he's, if only he can get the glory for it, okay? He, he wants to do things in your life. He wants to do bigger things than you ever even imagined. But the trouble is you don't ask for it because your logical brain thinks that, that God won't do it for you. Time and time again, Jesus said, if, if you ask and believe, it'll be done, right? God wants to make your dreams come true. Dreams are made up of the word and, 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 and. And this week. So dad and Jason got there and uh, that, that very first night, 
I was getting to know Woodrow. I mean, we, we, we connected just, just right off. Now, I lived in a, in a, in a little uh, two-bedroom house that, that they called the schoolhouse because, you know, way back when, when the ranch ran, you know, cow-calf operation, they had a lot of cowboys out there. They actually had a school for the kids in this little house, big ranch. And so I lived in the schoolhouse, and um, it, it had one bathroom, and, and the shower was a rough poured concrete. I mean, it nearly hurt your feet to stand in there because the rocks were all kind of jagged and stuff like that. And so anyway, we, it, it, it was just a great day. We had gone out, and we'd worked some cattle. I'd got my brother bucked off. It was great. And um, it's what you do, right? And so that night... We're sitting in there, and I'm kind of playing with Woodrow, and Dad says, well, I, I'm going uh, to go take a shower. And I said, I forgot to tell you something, okay? Don't freak out, Dad. Don't freak out. He goes, okay. I said, when you start that shower, now granted, this is the summertime in South Texas, okay? At night, the temperature was around 1,000, okay? So you, you didn't need water heaters. You just turned it on and just relished in the, in, in the cool water. And I said, when you turn that shower on, and about halfway through your shower, you're going to have a visitor. He goes, you're going to come get in with us? No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. But somebody is going to come in and get in with you. He's like, who? And I said, Charlie. He goes, Charlie better not come in the shower with me. I said, he ain't going to mess with you. He's just going to go stand in the corner. I said, it happens every single time. It's happened every single time. I've taken, both times I've taken a shower here. Okay? <laughs> he said, who is Charlie? I said, just leave him alone. It'll be fine. He said, are you serious? I said, dead serious. So dad gets his little shaving kit, and he goes in there, and he turns the water on, and he gets in the shower, and he closes it, and he's in there. And about 10 minutes goes by, and I see Charlie headed his way. My brother is freaking out. He's like, Dad's going to kill it. Dad's going to kill Charlie. Like, nah, he won't. He'll be fine. So we're sitting there with, with like morbid anticipation, right? And all of a sudden, my dad goes, Wah! I don't think this is funny. Me and my brother are just hooran. Charlie was a tarantula about this big. He lived there before I got there. It was not my place to kick Charlie out. He never bothered me, and the only time you saw him was whenever you took a shower. And he would crawl into the shower, and he'd go sit in the corner. He was never there the next morning, but that was Charlie. So, um, you know, Dad gets out of the shower, and he goes, and my dad's not afraid of anything, but it, it's just kind of eerie. I mean, this tarantula is the size of, you know, like a small saucer plate. You know, I know some of you don't like little spiders. Have, and when you're in the shower, usually you're not dressed, and you just feel vulnerable, okay? It's, it's weird. So anyway, dad gets out. He goes, I came this close to killing Charlie. I said, I know, but just leave him alone. And so anyway, he gets out and everything. What? I guess Charlie could hear the voices or something because here comes Charlie into the living room. He just comes walking out. Well, oh, Woodrow, he, he, he didn't quite know what to think about old Charlie. And so he walked up there and he, whack, and he hits Charlie. Charlie grew this big. You know how they do? They get those old legs up and everything. And Woodrow's like, oh, we had a, we had a standoff, right? You're like, we're fixing to have a battle. And I was like, Woodrow, <laughs> you reap what you sow. <laughs> and so Woodrow kind of looked at it and he kind of sized it up. And I went, uh-uh. And the collie prevailed. 
The collie part prevailed. He, 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 he left, uh, he left uh, Charlie alone. So the next morning, we were walking. Well, I can't say the next morning. It did happen the next morning, but it happened every morning after that. Um, there was another dog at headquarters. He was a cross between a blue tick hound and something. I have no idea. But he didn't know whether to whir like a hound dog or bark. It was just, it, he was just confused. That's all he was. But, what, but Scooter woke up on the wrong side of the bed every single morning. And every day when I walked across headquarters to the bunkhouse to eat breakfast with Antonio Zeferino and Tomas, if Woodrow was not right beside me, if he ventured even 10 feet from me, Scooter would come and just mop the floor with him. Never would necessarily hurt him, but he would. He'd just come and just, and just be just like the bullfight I was talking about. Just, just teeth and, and, and I just knew that Woodrow was going to be the, the wussiest dog ever because he got his butt whipped nearly every single morning. Now, I'll give that little dog credit. He, he you know, I'd say, come on. And he'd go, and then he'd see, he'd smell something, and he'd start going over there. <laughs> Woodrow, <laughs> you know what happens? Because he would never do it if he was right beside me. And so he would venture off, and he'd see Scooter coming. Well, he wouldn't run back to me. He'd just do this. <laughs> he wouldn't run to anybody. Wouldn't run back to me or nothing. He'd just wait for it. Just, and he'd come Scooter, and Scooter would plow over him. Well, Dad leaves on Sunday. Gets here on Saturday. Leaves on Sunday. He had a ranch job, too. He had to take half a day off to come see his kid on a Saturday and Sunday, right? You know, that's just the way it goes. Two days later, we, now, now this was a yearling outfit, and, and we moved these big, we had two big old herds of, of yearling steers. And one of the only times that I can really remember that we didn't trailer out to move these cattle. It was kind of later in the evening. We would work, we would move cows first thing in the morning, and then we'd move cattle. We, we always moved every single day, uh, these two big herds. It was a rotational grazing type thing and savory method, and if, you, if you're into that. And um, so we were riding out to move cattle. It was just kind of close enough that, you know, you had to go the long way in a trailer. So it was just one half dozen or the other. Well, we rode off that day. Well, the schoolhouse and the office sat right next to each other and it was surrounded by a cinder block wall about this high, about chest high, four feet, I guess, or something like that. And so I had put Woodrow, we were going to be leaving, riding off from headquarters. And so I put Woodrow in the fence. I didn't put him in the house. There was no air conditioning. It's too hot. So I just put him in the yard, shut the gate. Nobody was at the office. All the cowboys were going to be going. So he would be safe in there. And I shut him in there and I go and I get my horse and we're riding off. Well, Woodrow sees us riding off and he starts going crazy. Just, I mean, just barking and running and you can hear his claws on the, on the little cinder block wall. And I mean, he is just throwing a fit because he can see us leaving. I've only had him two days and he's just a little video thing. We get, we'd been riding at a trot for about 45 minutes. Big Ranch, we'd been trotting for about 45 minutes. And Antonio looks over at me, and he just shakes his head and grins. I was like, okay, that's about all I knew, okay. And all of a sudden, I look down, and there's a little half-blue healer, half-border collie dog coming behind me. Now, we're fixing to go move a big old pasture. I'm there to do a job. I didn't have time 
to, to take him back. So I told him, I said, you better stick with me. Well, most of the time, these steers, you know, you just get on one side of them and they'll just go. They were used to it. But this day in this pasture, for some reason, we had some try to circle back and I had to lope a long ways to get these. And they were just being cantankerous enough. It was like gathering sheep that there was about 10 head. And when I tried to turn them, you know, these five went another wrong way, and these five went another wrong way. You know, you'd think that at least half of them would go back where they were supposed to. Well, I got to loping around and everything, and I look up, and Woodrow's gone. Woodrow's gone. So I ride up over this hill, and a long ways over there, I can see Zephyrino, and I see a little half border collie, half blue healer dog behind Zephyrino. I was like, Whew. You know, I thought, thought I'd lost my dog two days into it, right? And so anyway, I get these cattle pushed back, and, and, and it's, a, it's probably another three hours before we get everything pushed over there. And I mean, this big old pasture, I think there was something like 800 head in, in, in these pastures. And so we get them pushed over there, and I'm the last one to come up because I had to babysit those 10 head the entire time. They kept trying to turn back. And so I was the last one to push them through. And I rode up and I pushed them through. And I look around and I don't see Woodrow. So I said, Ferrino, ¿dónde, dónde mi perro? No sé. No está mi perro. You know, it's not my dog. And I was like, oh, crap. Where is Woodrow? There's another word in the Bible. We talked about and last week. And is what dreams are are made of. There's another powerful word in the Bible, and it's only a two-letter word. Used throughout the entire Bible, you've read it a thousand times, and, and when you go back and read your Bible, I want you to look for this word, because every time you see this word, a great promise usually accompanies it, either right then or a few verses later. That word is the word if, if. The Bible is full of statements that says, if you will do this, God will do that. If you will do this, God will do that. It's not conditional though. In computer programming, that's called a conditional statement, an if-then statement. For those of you that's into computers and are nerds like me, It's called an if-then statement, but that's a conditional statement. But when the Bible uses it, it's not a conditional statement, although it sounds like it. If you do this, then God will do that. God is not putting a condition on His love. He is revealing how much He loves us because the reason He uses if all throughout His good book is because you have a choice. Just like Ty talked about. Ty's up here talking and I turned to Amy and he's talking about choices and I said, I'm talking about choices too. Isn't that crazy? She's like, no, not anymore. Because we don't talk about it. I don't know what Ty's going to talk about. He doesn't know what I'm going to talk about. But the if-then statements in the Bible don't reveal a conditional love from a conditional God. It reveals an ultimate love from an ultimate God because the one, there's, there's two great gifts that you have been given. Number one, God sent His only Son to save you. That's the greatest gift. But I want to say equally as great, you were given a choice. You always have a choice. You can choose right or you can choose 
wrong. You can choose to follow God or you can choose not to follow God. So the if statements, God is not putting a condition on his love or his blessing. He's given you a choice of whether or not to receive it. It's as plain and simple as that. The if tells us that if we choose God's way, then this will happen. It's a promise. You choose, I'm going to give you a choice. You do it this way, this is what's going to happen. You do it another way, this is not going to happen. The choice is yours. He's not putting a condition on his love. He's giving us a choice because he loves us so much. You really do have a choice. There are three things that is revealed in the if statements of God. Kind of three categories, if you will. One, I have categorized into a category called personal fulfillment, okay? There's many promises in the Bible that says, if you do this, then this will happen. And they fall into what I call a personal fulfillment category. Let's look at a couple of, of these from God. In Luke 6.38, you you can turn there if you want or just listen. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, that the the second sentence of that verse is is kind of churchy sounding a little bit, measured and filled up and all, all this stuff. But but just look at the first one. Give and it will be given to you. That, that, that right there is, is everything that most of the people of this world are searching for. They want something given to them, and so they try to acquire that, but God turns in, 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 a, in a crazy paradox of time and space. God says, if you want it, give it away. If you want to truly feel loved, love others. In one of the few times that God even gives us the, uh, you know, one of the commandments is do not, you know, Jesus, whenever he was being tempted by the devil, uh, uh, Jesus told the devil, he said, the Bible says, do not tempt the Lord your God, right? But in one aspect, God says in Malachi, he said, bring a tenth into the storehouse, a tenth of everything you grow, put it into the, into the warehouse and see if I will not open up the floodgates of heaven's blessings. Okay, this isn't, a, this isn't a sermon on tithing. It's just saying that give and you will receive. Give and you will receive. If we choose God's way, then we will get more than we ever gave. Because that's what the second part of that sentence says. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. It will be poured into your lap. The personal fulfillment part of God's if. If you give, then you will receive. But that's not the way this world operates. We have to choose God's way, not the world's way. How about another one? Matthew 16, 25. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his own soul? You want to save your life? Are you looking for eternal life? Are you looking for something better for eternity? Or are you looking better for something better right now? That's the choice. God said, if you will give me your life now, then I will preserve your life 
for all eternity. But if you try to just gather everything you can in this life and hoard it and, and, and just focus on material stuff and selfishness and all of that, then, then that's all you're ever going to get and you're going to regret it. Once again, the, the, the cosmic paradox for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's a, there's a part of Christianity that Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. See, we're supposed to die to self. We're supposed to put God number one. And we're supposed to put everybody else number two. Jesus himself said, the greatest among you will be the greatest servant. You want to be top in God's outfit? Then you put everybody else before you. You become a servant to mankind. You become a servant in your household. You quit thinking about what you want. If you... If you want to get what you want, give that away. You want to feel loved, love others. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his own soul? If we choose God's way, then our lives will be fulfilled. If we choose God's way, our lives will be fulfilled. One more. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Personal fulfillment. If you know, it was once said that if you were so selfish that you were just out to for you to get the most out of everything in life, you would give your life to God because He said that's the only way you'll find it. Everybody has been searching for a way to fill that void inside of them, and Jesus says you can search the world over, but the only thing that will ever fulfill you is me. Ask and you shall receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. If we choose God's way, then we will receive what we ask for, find what we are looking for, and doors will be opened to us. Personal fulfillment, personal fulfillment. If, if, God's way, you will reap what you sow. Jack with a tarantula, and eventually a scooter will come and jack with you. The next section of God's if statements of the choices that he allows us to make. If you do it my way, then this will happen. It's what I like to call protection and provision. Protection and provision. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be given unto you. <laughs> they asked Jesus, they said, what, what, you know, what's the, what's the key to life? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He could have quit his ministry right then because everything you need to know about Christianity is found in that statement right there. And Jesus further makes his point by saying, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be given unto you. Can you sell everything you own and move to Guatemala? Can you give up a life with a great job in Iowa and start an orphanage in Mexico to give yourself away to kids that don't have parents that have been abandoned? Can you leave your ranch in Texas because of a phone call that a guy made that said you're supposed to start a cowboy church in Elbert County, Colorado? Can you leave everything you've ever known behind to follow God? Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be given unto you. I realize that statement more and more and more and more. Somebody asked me one time, they said, what do you pray for? And I said, it's really hard for me to pray because I like, I, ha I am so blessed, but I gave everything up for it. God wants to do that with your life. He wants you to be so blessed 
Because you gave everything up for him. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be given unto you. Protection and provision. If we choose God's way, then everything will be given to you. That takes some faith, don't it? Takes some faith. How about this one? Psalm 91. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the most high, those are capitalized, talking about God. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the most high your shelter, no evil will conquer you. Where does your protection come from? Where does your provision come from? Does it come from your job? Does it come from your home? Does it come from the sidearm that you carry? Does it, does it, does it, and all of those things, none of that is bad, but we have to know that our protection and our provision ultimately come from God himself. If we choose God's way, then the Lord will protect you. If you don't choose God or his ways, then you're on your own. Good luck. And I know that's kind of hard, but we have a choice. God says, hey, if you choose me, this is what's going to happen. If you don't, then that's not going to happen. It may not be the opposite of that right away, but ultimately, that's what's going to happen. The closer you are to God, the more protection He can offer from people that wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Will you stay next to God? Or do you wander off and then wonder why bad things happen? You know, m- most people, it just, it breaks my heart that I-, I talk to people all the time and that's exactly what they do. They get beat up, they get torn down in life and, and, and th- they're just mauled and they come to God and as soon as they feel better, guess what they do? They trot right back across because they smelled something that smelled good. And then they wonder why they get beat up again. You want protection and provision. You've got to stick right by God and do things God's way. The third category of the if of choosing God's way is eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that if you believe in him, you will not perish, but you will live forever. For God so loved you, not the person sitting next to you, not the person in front of you, not the person behind you, not the guy at work, not the one posting scripture this long on social media, you. For God so loved you that he sent his one and only son to die for you. And if you believe in that sacrifice that was for you, You will not perish, but you will have eternal life if we choose God's way. And this is the ultimate choice. If you choose God's way, then you will live forever in heaven. If you don't, then something else will happen. Many people say, how could a loving God send somebody to hell? God would never send anybody to hell. We choose it. We choose it. He offers us a choice reside with him for eternity, or don't. It's as simple as that. It is that choice that reveals God's ultimate love for us. He gave you absolute free will. If he made you go to heaven, you would not have free will. If he made you go to hell, that would not be free will either. He offers you a choice. Moses said it. Today, I, I, today a choice lies before you. Choose life or death. Choose wisely. What will you choose? But more importantly, what do you believe? What do you believe? Is that, is that statement saying that if we just believe that Jesus is a real person, that we'll go, to hell, uh, we'll go to heaven? No, it's not what it's saying. What does it mean to believe? 
In John 15, verse 4, John 15, verse 4, Jesus said, Abide in me, and I will abide in you. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. Now, we don't use that word very much, at least not on the ranch. Maybe y'all use that word all the time. That's kind of one of those Bible words, abide. What does that mean? It means Jesus is saying, if you stick with me, I'll stick with you. That's all it means. If you stick with me, I'll stick with you. Well, that sounds pretty common sense, huh? If you, if you stick your left stirrup right there on Jesus' right stirrup, if you stick with him, he's going to stick with you. It, it's as simple as that. But sticking with him means traveling the trails that he goes down, of doing things the way he says to do them, of choosing God's way. And in the same chapter in John 15, 10, what does it mean to believe? For God so loved the world, so God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What does it mean to believe? That means that you abide, that you are going to ride with him, that you are going to stick by him no matter what. It doesn't depend upon your wife. It doesn't depend upon your husband. It doesn't matter if you're kids. It doesn't matter about your employer. Where God goes, you go. What God says to do, you do it that way and don't ever let whether it's hard or not come into your mind. Even the hardest things in the world, he's going to give you the strength to do it after you get started, not before. You'll never be ready. He wants you to have total faith in him. And in John 15, 10, Jesus says this, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. And isn't that what we've been talking about this whole time? Obedience, obedience, obedience. What do you truly believe? Finding Woodrow is a biblical study on rediscovering what we actually believe and how to grow in your faith. If you want your faith to grow, if you are not satisfied with this life that you have been trying to lead and things just aren't working out your way, God wants you to become a dreamer again. He wants you to have that childlike faith. Dreams are what faith is made of. Obedience is also what faith is made of. Yes, God says, obey my commands. Not because he wants to see if you can quack like a duck and hop on one foot. He says, if you do what I say, this happens. It's as simple as that. Are you going to choose God's way or are you going to choose your way? You can't do both. The only way you will ever succeed in life or to get to heaven is to choose God's way and God's way alone. And 99% of the time, it's going to be contrary to what you want to do. Isn't that what choosing God's way is? Isn't, isn't it obeying? Obedience is not a condition of God's love. It's a choice we make to receive it or not. He says, here's my love. If you do this, you'll find it. If you go your own way, you're not going to find it. Faith is built upon dreams, the ands of life. And this, and this, and this, and this. Unless you have a childlike faith, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Dreams. Faith is built upon dreams. Faith is built upon obedience, the ifs of God's way. If you do this, this will happen. You can choose His way or your way. Faith is built upon dreams, the ands of life. Faith is built upon obedience, the ifs of God's way. And faith is built upon coming back next week to see if I find Woodrow or not. Let's go to God in prayer. God, help us to grow closer to you through doing things your way. God, we have spent... Most of our time doing things our way, and 
we're just now realizing that true fulfillment and purpose and protection is found in your way, not ours. God, it'll take courage, wisdom, and perseverance to ride the trail that you've taken us on, but we know that with you, anything is possible, even our wildest dreams. And it's in Jesus that we put our faith. It's in Jesus that we place our trust, and it's in Jesus that we give our lives, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.